The year is 1981. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Variant cover. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year. This is our 1981 variant cover. My Marvelous Year is the podcast where we go through Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm your host, Dave Busing, follow, follower, follower and editor-in-chief of Comic Herald. I guess that's true. I do follow all the work <laughs> on Comic Herald. I, I follow all of our talented writers. Sometimes I even edit them. Uh, and I am joined today by the... Hmm, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say what I'm thinking. Okay. Uh, instead, I'm just going to <laughs> no, say... please do. The reason my marvelous the reason year you haven't slept comes in a out. week. <laughs> They've just been tossing and turning and like strangling. I was gonna say strangling your bed sheets every night, like in your sleep. That I I've lost many bed sheets since our last episode, 1981 Part Two, in which Zach came out publicly as very anti Doctor oh, Doom. All right, we've we've talked about it. We're gonna talk about it a little bit more today. If you haven't yet listened to 1981 Part Two. I almost don't want to. I almost don't want to burden you with this information, with this bomb that <laughs> oh he dropped. Um, but what I was going to say is the reason the My Marvelous Year episodes come out on time. Zach Dean, oh, how's it going, Zach? Hey, thanks. <laughs> That's a nice little yeah. compliment. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Before I dig into you for your insane <laughs> opinions. Yeah. No, no. I. It's I like, a, like the mostly. old HR trick of a uh, you know a sandwich, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. compliments mm-hmm. on either side of uh, just an absolute. Your beat. HR. Is very different than most people's. Yeah, they they do give you prank sandwiches at your <laughs> HR at work, which I was pretty surprised by. That seems very cruel mm-hmm. of a human resources department. Regardless, this is our 1981 variant cover, which means we have just finished the reading list for all the comics mm-hmm. in 1981. Marvel, uh, my Marvelous Year, it's a pod where we provide re- curated reading lists of Marvel Comics, so you can read along with us. It's a podcast and reading club. We highly encourage you to read along, unless you just like listening to us talk about the comics. And we are going to be moving to 1982. But before we do, we want to talk about poll results for 1981. We want to talk about listener feedback and questions. And then we want to do a couple My Marvelous Year shared universe updates Mm -hmm. for our loyal patrons. Uh, One of the tiers on patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear, a way you can support the show, is uh, it gets you the benefit of having a hero or villain created as part of our My Marvelous Year shared universe. And we've had some awesome patrons supporting us over yeah, there. So definitely. thanks to everyone it's who's been, done that. It's been so much fun so far. coming up with these. Like, once in a while, I feel like I come up with a legitimately good idea where I'm just like, man, I wish I was a comic book writer and, like, uh-huh. had the resources to actually, like, well, the resources and the skill and the smarts and, you know, like all the things that you actually need to write a comic book besides just like a good idea. Um, yeah, actually, you know what? Right. That's kind of what Stan Lee did. I mean, <laughs> if comic book writing was like three good puns, we would be the best oh comic God, book writers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, no, there, but there's like a few ideas. Like, I kind of feel like the one I came up with today, I'm just like, this would be the basis of like a decent comic. I feel like you could spin this into a, a fun comic book. Um, yeah. But, uh, oh. And uh, if anyone's been on the fence waiting for uh, waiting to sign up at that tier, I have a Lovecraftian. If you are into Lovecraft, I have a Lovecraftian villain idea that I've been bouncing around 
that I hadn't wanted to do because the last couple of villains I came up with, the patrons were like, oh, I'm not a, I don't know much about Lovecraft. I didn't want to do something specific okay. about that. This is a very specific. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you want, if you, <laughs> if you are want to become both considering supporting <laughs> villain, I already have in mind. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Yeah. I had that for a few heroes or um, heroes and villains. I think like Fever mm-hmm. Baby and Tiny Vampire were just like ideas that I wrote down on our shared doc that I just were like Fever Baby question <laughs> mark, and yeah. then uh, right, and then waited for the right patron to come along. Where I was just like, all right, this is this is the guy who will uh, uh, Austin. Austin's a real fever baby. So. Austin the fever baby. I do appreciate that you have like some some rolling ideas mm-hmm. of of planning ahead here. Whereas I generally don't know what's going to come out until I start of talking. your mouth. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait was, to see where this sentence goes. Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is uh, which is both thrilling and terrifying. But anyway, we'll get to that towards the end of the episode. Let's kick things off here with 1981 poll results yeah. i believe are yep, yep. uh, now i wanted to call an audible and make our poll <laughs> about your bombshell let's drops. do that in 1982 because i actually think they, the what he's talking about is that i said dr doom doesn't like incredibly excite me i like dr doom just fine sometimes he's great but often i'm kind of just like yeah he's around it's fine it's you know it's funny i hear i hear most of the words you're saying uh-huh. But when I try to translate it back into <laughs> what did Zach just say, it's Zach can't stand Dr. Doom. Yeah. Now, is that that probably isn't what you actually said? No, no, it's it's clearly like and I, I think it was a obviously I reacted strongly because <laughs> yeah. I love <laughs> it's the most like, I love it's the most comics gate you've ever gotten. <laughs> don't don't tie my name. Sorry. To that sorry. That's exactly exactly what uh what it's like come on come on i'm trying to keep this above name calling (laughs) and you're dropping that nonsense no no it's just i obviously love the character and it's Mm -hmm. a it's a genuinely strange idea to me that you wouldn't be excited by that villain in in comics but i think the piece of it that is interesting that i've been seeing from you know a lot of people in the slack we've been talking about it and definitely there are a handful of people who have come in and said like yeah like i don't I'm not that excited by Dr. Doom in the comic currently. And what I've realized is there are eras to Doom, Mm -hmm. certainly. Um, And also there are eras to like Marvel villains in general, you know, where the villains that we think of as top tier don't necessarily become the fully fleshed versions of themselves. I mean, if not until the 80s, then like, you know, until like more modern comics that I sort of started my Marvel journey with in the 2000s. Right. In Doctor Doom, I think I think he comes out of the gates and we talked about this, very fully formed and as one of Marvel's best Silver Age villains. But at the point we're at in the club, which is 1981, it's been a while since we read the good Doctor Doom from that era, you know? Yeah, well, like he gets stuck in what I would call Fantastic Four Purgatory. I mean, I, because that title hasn't been that good. I I've, I've been thinking about it a lot because we've been talking about this a lot. And I, I don't mm-hmm. think we should go into this too in depth because both of our emails this week actually refer to this and kind of prod at this question. Okay. But okay. um I think part of what I kind of want from Doom and part of this is like there's a lot of the like the the structure of Doom, the foundation of Doom that I like, but I wish it was a little bit more kind of what I have in my head, which is that I wish he had a little more red skull in him, right? Like I just I don't feel you're, so you're shipping a big uh what do they call that slash oh skull and God. doom <laughs> right you have a little red skull in you do you want one <laughs> <laughs> um yeah he uh like i you know that scene where red skull um 
is in some henchman's mind. He's like, has his mind control, and he's just like, yeah, pick up that pistol and shoot yourself. And then he just does it and, right, uh, and murders right. that guy. I think still the most evil thing we've seen in comics. I think that's in the Cosmic Cube one, right? With, yeah. Uh, with yeah, yeah. Cap, what is that? Tell I just suspense? want that little bit of ruthlessness. And I think if that was paired with him also being a ruler who you felt genuinely cared about Latveria, that that is a real... I, I mean, I already made this comparison. That's Black Adam in, like, modern comics. Right, right, right. That, yeah, that's kind of what I want. Up. So, I mean, part of it is that, like, he's just not quite what I want. He's still a little, like, the arcade You stuff. want him more evil. That's interesting. I want him more evil and a little bit, like, actually threatening, you know? Well, let me tell you something. That's not what's going to happen. He's not going to go... Nobody goes more Red Skull. The, the, the tendency is to make them more human and more... I think I, um, it, it's not understandable. It's not necessarily Red I Skull is more. already, you know, on the scale of evil. Yeah. Red, Red Skull's the max. Well, I know. I mean, he He's wants the to maximum be like, evil, you right? know, a Nazi god, right? So like, yeah, no, no, it's not yeah. like I want Dr. Doom just to be indiscriminately evil. I just want him to be more ruthless, right? Like I, I like everything that's with him. I just wish that there was a, a little bit more of an edge and like a feeling of a threat to him yeah. when he is angry, right? When like he's angry and that is directed towards somebody. I wish I felt it was a little bit because I don't know. Like he just feels a little toothless to me, and that's that's like a toothless. Yeah, well, they got yeah. blown out in an experiment. He's very self conscious about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I I like a lot of the '80s stuff. Like I like him, you know, tormenting the Silver Surfer with like pictures of stars. <laughs> um, yeah, and, talking uh, about ruthless. Right. I mean that that's like funny. Like I like all that stuff. Him riding the Silver Surfer surfboard was cool. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I like the the stuff we read last week, the Camelot Iron Man stuff. That was fun in the Fantastic Four. All right, all right. But... If we're going to talk about this in emails, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah, that's a good I, point. Okay. I can't let too much of this go. Let's, um, let's jump to the poll. All right. Then. Poll, poll, yeah. poll, poll. If a character could have had an outstanding creative run in the 80s, like Claremont on X-Men or Miller on Daredevil, so like an all-time great character-defining run, mm-hmm. who should it have been? So in last place, and maybe, maybe who I would have picked... Hercules with one vote because I Ooh. I mean now we we as a club we haven't had Hercules not much yet. no no we've really I mean, we had that Thor versus Hercules issue I think right right but he Fun. doesn't really so he's going to join up with the Avengers yeah, yeah. Uh, this decade once Roger Stern comes on the title we really don't have a lot if you've been reading with the club so far you don't have a lot of reason to think anything of Hercules at this point yeah so I think I, that's fair I think I just like um I really I mean it's documented my favorite superhero run so far that I've ever read is uh, George Perez's Wonder Woman. And that just like threads that needle between Greek mythology and superhero, like modern day superhero stuff so well. Mm-hmm. I just think it would be fun to Marvel to like really dive into their version of like Mount Olympus the same way they do Asgard and like make it their own, you know? Um, Marvel's be best fun. Hercules series starts in 2008. So he's got a long road to hoe. There's a that just last week they added a Hercules graphic novel from the eighties into Marvel Unlimited. Oh boy. Yeah. It, I've read it. Yeah, yeah. It's not good. No, it's kinda of weird, right? <laughs> it's like very sci fi. Like it. it has nothing to do with like Greek mythology. There's some fun sci fi stuff. Yeah, it, it's okay. He punches Galactus into space at one point. Yeah, I thought it was okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh coming up next with two votes, Rick Jones, which I put in as against my better judgment. You know what though? A twelve issue Tom King returns to Marvel. Yeah, that's, series that's what of Rick thinking, Jones yeah. is like so. So well, I can totally. Or I was see thinking that. about you know like there's a, a Jimmy Olsen series running right now that's uh yeah it's that good people really Matt love Fraction Steve Lieber yeah 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 so, so something like Weird that too. you know like 
where they make him an actual character and they kind of use him as the, you know, observation, almost like Marvel's in the 90s where it's like an, an outsider oh, yeah. point of view. Yeah. So um, next up tied with Rick Jones is Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, which never becomes that interesting. <laughs> like the two of them as a solo Together. unit. Or, I mean, like as, yeah. as solo characters, like they're always just part of the Avengers. Um, so the best Wasp solo stuff, first off, it's not Janet. And it doesn't start until like 2015, 16. Really? Okay. And the best Ant-Man stuff solo, in my opinion, is also quite recent. Yeah. Is it Scott um, Lang? I would. It's definitely Scott Lang. Yeah. It, it's not Hank Pym. I'll tell you that. Okay. Not after what we just read. <laughs> Get out of here, Avengers 213. Yeah. Ugh. Yuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, more on that in a, an email coming up. Uh, next up okay. in the poll, Black Widow. Um, and I was thinking yeah. like Black Widow getting a series kind of like... Masters of Kung Fu or Power Man, Power Man and Iron Fist, you know, like something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. That really just dives into the character and like gives her her own little corner with a, a cast of side characters and stuff. Like she's gonna have. I'm some... picturing now like a like a spy anthology kind yeah, of thing. You right. know, so you take Masters of Kung Fu, but you make it all spy networks. Black Widow's a lead. Nick Fury real plays James a major Bondy, role. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't really feel like like that happens in books it's actually a nice element of like the edward breaker steve epton captain america run yeah but it's not it's not their own it's not a solo thing yeah my favorite black widow series starts in 2010 mm. oh yeah um who is that um marjorie Liu is the yeah, writer okay. she's writing monstrous currently yeah i think daniel acuna does the art yeah those I, are i knew it awesome was someone issues. who has like a great pedigree monstrous is like a comic i really need to dive into i read the first six i need to do a monstrous binge it's just like that it, it is a dense and like weird and fascinating comic um yeah yeah really something unique uh yeah so black widow she's gonna get that marvel fanfare issue that's really fun uh yeah, sometime in the 80s those are really good but that's about it we're gonna read those those are gonna get are, are they gonna get it cool okay because they have some of the coolest black widow artwork ever <laughs> um yeah so uh next next up is that's in 1983 oh is it okay cool yeah. Next up, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, which I think is obvious. Um, she does get her era-defining run sometime in the, what, 2010? Something like that? Yeah, it starts there. in 2011. Kelly Thompson, yep. is that right? Kelly Sue DeConnick. Kelly, Kelly Su- Thompson is currently writing uh, Captain Marvel. Oh, okay. Kelly Sue DeConnick, yep. and uh, it's, that's when which Carol we... becomes Captain Marvel, which is kind of what we know her as today. Yeah, right, which we um, read, that, actually, that takes did, a while. did a little uh, coverage of for a bonus episode on Patreon. So if you're on Patreon at five that's bucks, right. you can check that's that right. out. Uh, Patreon.com slash my marvelous year. Second is like Captain Marvel run. Second place, just one vote from the top. Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Ghost Rider. Yeah, yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, because he, that's something too where the, I don't I don't quite know where to turn with Ghost Rider. I've never been the, the biggest, biggest fan. It's, it's just like lost potential, right? It's just like yeah, do do like a Constantine, you know, like demon and hell filled thing. With this cool mm-hmm. motorcycle skull guy. Like, he looks cool. The aesthetic is interesting. It's a kind of an untouched corner of Marvel. And then they just never really... You know what I think is the, the challenge there, though, is when you mention Constantine, my first thought is just like, well, Johnny Blaze just doesn't have an ounce of John Constantine swagger. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, just he does, as a character... Who knows he what just, his personality You know, so that is, you have all the yeah. supernatural elements, but as a character, right. I yeah. never think... I'm never as compelled... By you know him being the the quote unquote just like I don't know sacrificial bastard all right. the time. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, who, I, who, I have no idea what Johnny Blaze's personality is. 
He's just like a cool guy. Yeah. He's just a cool leather jacket, motorcycle riding guy. Yeah. Right? Have you have you been <laughs> like, reading the new Constantine Blaze? series? Uh, I read the first issue and it's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm subscribed to that or it's on my pull list and uh, yeah, it's pretty consistently good. And I just love how awful Constantine is. That like Constantine yeah. isn't that yeah, right? Like he is such a bastard. He is. Mm-hmm. so unlikable and i love that they're leaning into that and not like pulling their punches with just like oh he's terrible <laughs> and yeah. uh and you're just you know still charming but like just a just an awful guy yeah i love that yeah uh, all right so first place and i think you're gonna bristle at this maybe a little bit dr strange yeah okay yeah see th- the only reason i bristle with that when you mentioned it initially is dr strange does get at bats in the 80s yeah like it's not like he's quite as overlooked as the rest of those characters. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's fair. Roger Stern, we're going to read a little bit of, and then Peter Gillis takes over at a certain point in a very underrated run. That's called Dr. Strange Sorcerer Supreme, mm-hmm. which was not on Marvel Unlimited when I put the list together originally. I'm definitely going to be looking at including some of that uh, in the, in the current iteration. That said, there's not, there's nothing that people talk about on the level of, like you said, the Claremont X-Men, yeah. the, the Simmons and Thor, the I mean, Darede- I pulled, the Miller's Daredevil. I, I pulled so. this list out of thin air. Like, I didn't do any research yeah. at all. I just based it on characters that I have no knowledge of their runs, right? Because even if I haven't read it, like, I know Todd McFarlane has well, that Spider-Man run at the end of the 80s. Simonson right, has the right. Thor run. Like, I know of these famous runs. And I was like, if it he doesn't have a run that I'm at least aware of... And there must not be. Yeah, something. I mean, I think his most well-known '80s appearance is the Triumph and Torment. Yeah, that Doctor uh, Doom graphic novel, graphic novel alongside yeah. Doctor Doom. Yeah, I'm excited um, about that. Which is Roger Stern and Mike Mignola. But actually, I guess like if that was a part of a Stern and Mignola run, then I feel ooh, like ooh, like if boy, you had the yeah. creator of Hellboy I mean, Min- doing a run yeah, on that, Mignola oh on man, that. very cool. Everybody be talking about that. Yeah. But uh, okay, okay, good poll. Thanks everybody for participating over on the Patreon. All right, let's uh, let's jump into an email. Um, this is from Daniel and he writes, hi, Zach and Dave, the Dr. Doom conversation on the last episode got me thinking about Marvel villains and what makes them satisfying or unsatisfying. It's certainly not just how evil or maniacal they can be. Mephisto is actually Satan and he's pretty meh. Some of it is obviously the simplicity or complexity of their larger character or their larger character or motivations. Many villains just want money or revenge for having been defeated before, such as every Spider-Man opponent. Or maybe just power, like quote-unquote power, yeah. which doesn't often allow for much nuance in their motivations. Even the Red Skull just wants to be some kind of Nazi king of the world. That may be high stakes, may be high stakes, but it still doesn't create a ton of excitement. In contrast, Thanos is in love, and the only way to catch the eye of his affection just happens to be destroying some galaxies and eliminating all those who might get in his way. At least that's more interesting. But I think the larger issue is that, as been noted many times before, the best villains are the ones who actually think they're the hero. Those sorts of figures have been largely absent over the past 20 years of Marvel. However, Magneto is now becoming really interesting because his motivation to protect mutants rather than just punish weak, inferior humans are starting to be drawn out. Galactus is more frightening because he isn't trying to be evil. He's just doing what he must to survive and human concerns and feelings don't even register. Just like how many of us don't think of raising and slaughtering animals in terms of villainy, I bet chickens find us terrifying. Oh, crib that from Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar speech. Actually, that last part. <laughs> yeah, Daniel is actually Joaquin Phoenix. Um, yeah, thanks for no, thanks I, for listening. I'm really Joaquin. glad we have yeah. him as a fan. Uh, please, yeah, please no, I really retweet me more often though. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, you don't need to do that, but do make Joker two and make it uh, like slapstick, like hilarious over the top. And at slapstick, some point, would be look awesome. directly into the camera and say, 
hey, check out my Marvelous Year. It's a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-film. Yep. Uh, please do, Joaquin. Um, okay. Well, oh, no, that, no, no, I really there's, like... There's just a little bit more. Um, a little bit more? Okay. Just a little bit more. From that perspective, as much as it pains me to say it, I mostly agree with Zach that at least to this point, Doctor Doom... Is at least nope, there a was not any more. Wait, hang on. Why are you making up an ending to this email? <laughs> In the Silver Age, he just hates Reed and needs to prove he's superior to any hero he encounters, but the fact that he's now starting to do things like travel through time to learn the skills he needs to save his mother from hell is way more interesting. So the less Doom is just seeking power and domination, the better he is, and he hasn't really done much else at this point. At any rate, sorry for the long email. Thanks for the podcast, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I think this is a good, fun topic to talk about like what makes a good villain because i think there's different things that can make a good villain i like i really like the line there that daniel had which is a good villain is someone who sees himself as the hero that feels understandable i think sort of instinctively right everyone is the hero of their own story you don't necessarily get that super strongly in the silver age and through the bronze age yeah we were talking about complexity earlier i I think doesn't quite add up i think that's comics code stuff and also maybe what do you mean comics code uh, because the comics codes explicitly said you cannot like sympathize with the villain or make like evil at all oh, you know, yeah, yeah like the villains can't, can't be, they can't be appealing you don't actually right and the villains always need to unequivocally lose, right like it had to be much yeah, more yeah. black and white i think it's partially mm-hmm. that partially a little bit of like you know the stories weren't trying to be that complex in their mm-hmm. like view of morality Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. I think there's like different things that can be done. I don't think you know you need that like Killmonger who absolutely thinks he's trying to do the best thing for Wakanda. Like he's you know he thinks he's being the hero here, right? Like I don't think right. you need that, but I think that is like a very interesting motivation you can have. Um, mm-hmm. Because then like I think of Bullseye, you know, and I love Bullseye. Like I am, I get excited the way you get excited about Doom when Bullseye comes on the screen, but Bullseye is not like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what his motivations are. They're not that interesting to me. Bullseye I love because he's just cool and I'm interested in watching him like exist in this world and watch him like flex his powers. I think his powers are just, his powers, his uh, abilities are just like fundamentally interesting in the way that he interacts with the rest of the characters are. So that is just more like... Well, and he definitely has no delusion that he's the hero. Right, exactly. Right, like there's no part of, of Bullseye that would walk around and say like, I'm in the right here yeah. so much as just, he's not, he's not even asking the question. It's just, yeah. this is what I do. I mean, it's kind of like what makes John me wick, right? Like I don't watch John wick and think like, wow, what like interesting nuanced, you know, discussions of full morality here are happening. I just, mm-hmm. it is fun, cool action, right? That is, it is in and of itself. Just and bullseye like, hits on that level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I like him. But that is not exactly why, like, Thanos, right? Thanos has a whole different thing going on. So I think they can Uh be different, like, different, you know, uh, appealing elements. And I think, like, if they all had the same exact motivation, then it would get dull. I mean, I think that's why this huge wide world of villains can be so appealing, because they can all strike different notes, right? Like, I mean, the Joker, the Joker doesn't view himself as the hero, right? Like, that's... That's definitely not the case there. It depends. It depends. There's a lot of Joker comics. Yeah, that is that is true. Sure. <laughs> he shows up a lot. Yeah. yeah, I do think it's not it's certainly not the only way to craft a compelling villain, but when I do think of the ones, especially as we progress here into the the eighties comics, that stand out the most to me, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, um, Thanos we talked about, Killmonger was obviously very good. It is the ones that have that degree of 
certainty that they're doing good, that they're doing or something right. Or at least right, that they have some... However misguided. Altruistic motive. Rap, like, they, they understand they're doing something evil, but it's more mm-hmm. important to them that they protect their wife, in Kingpin's case, or... Uh, you know, like protect their country the, with Doctor Doom, right? Right, or, or save exactly. their mom, right? Like these sort of like like if you just again you put it in a vacuum, and it's like should should a man care to save his mom from <laughs> from the pits of hell? You'd be like, yes, that would be a good person who wanted to do that, right? Um, but then you you warp that onto Doctor Doom, who obviously we know to not be a good person, and it adds a, a slight degree of complexity depending on how the story's told. Sure, yeah, uh, I mean, so it's very, I do think like, that's fair. I, ends justify the means. You know, but yeah. if the ends are something that's actually good and human and relatable, then that can, mm-hmm. you know, that can make that much more compelling because there's maybe a small part of you that like understands why they're doing this. I, I mean, the, the as we get into more complex stories, and I don't think I tried not to bring this motive or this uh, this critique so much to the 60s just because it felt, you know, like I'm judging them by a modern standard, but trying to put that on like 60s villains that they have more going on than like i want power i want to defeat the hero right felt unfair but we are getting to a point where like magneto is talking about his time in auschwitz and how that if like you know that affects his worldview on mutants right and in that world you know the vulture coming by and being like my motivation is spider-man beat me up once and i'm out to defeat defeat spider-man whatever that means yeah you know starts to fall flat well, and it definitely starts to it makes it makes those villains that are just like, hey, I just want to rob a bank. Yeah, <laughs> like like my motivations are not that big. It makes them goofier in ways that I do think creators will start to embrace a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people on the on the Slack today were uh, not complaining, but like minorly protesting that in the original list for my marvelous year, the only issue I left out of the upcoming 1982 Daredevil by Frank Miller was uh, 186, which is like a Daredevil versus Stiltman issue. Uh And when I was reading it the first time, when I was less, um, you know, I was less aware just of the power of the stilts, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I left that out intentionally because it's like, well, this one is just less essential, right? It's just Daredevil fighting this weird, goofy villain. And now, now I look at it and it's like, yeah, that type of villain is, especially in the world of Frank Miller, you know, and, and the like progression into grim and gritty and, you know, the quote unquote more realistic comics. It just feels so out of place for where we're going, sure. I think, yeah. um, which isn't to say like the Marvel Universe is going to keep its its Marvel Universe ethos. Right. Like there's going to be silly stuff. Mm-hmm. They're going to be villains that dress up in grizzly bear costumes and porcupine outfits and razorbacks, right? <laughs> yeah, razorback, like these yeah, characters, you know, there's going to be big wheel, right? Like all these characters are going to be around and that can still be there and still be fun. Yeah. doesn't mean sure. comics can't or shouldn't be fun, yeah, yeah. but those villains by comparison to, like you just said, Magneto with the backstory he's given, um, it's, it, it's kind of just night and day. So I'm exci- I'm both excited for that progression, but I'm also like, there's a part of me that not every, not every villain needs that. You know what I mean? Like Razorback doesn't need to have survived the Holocaust. Sure. Like absolutely right. yeah, yeah, yeah. do not need the sad I mean, backstory Batrock, for all characters. I love Batrock. Batrock just like is a lot of fun to me. He doesn't mm-hmm. have that much going on. But even in like modern comics, like he was just in Marauders, he's still just kind of a goofy fun guy who's like everyone kind of snickers at, you know? Yeah. And like Yeah. Um Yeah, you know Those are fun characters to have and to show up now and to sort of have a self-awareness about themselves, which I think is one of Batrock's strengths currently, is when he shows up, like, he's a mercenary who kind of realizes 
his shtick, like jumping around and leaping, is is inherently oh there, a little silly. There's a you there's know? like a solo. I think a one shot, a Batrock one shot from the uh, yeah yeah. The, I think it's written by Kieran Gillen. It's really good. It's so much fun right. if you have any familiarity with that character. Um, yeah yeah. Um, and then like, what was I just thinking? Oh, uh, J.M. DiMatteis. In one of the issues, I'm going to add for 1984, his Captain America run. He starts playing mm-hmm. with that in like really interesting ways with this self awareness of having these uh these silly one note characters. He brings in the Tumbler. <laughs> okay. Who I don't even know what his deal is. What he he just like he's an acrobat. He's like something like that. He's a, he's a very silly like Silver Age villain that we've never read before. He's either an acrobat or he's um a big drinker. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Those are the two options. I knew you were gonna go for that. Or he likes to blog. Actually, that's possible. That is. He really likes reposting. Uh, porn memes. <laughs> uh, not anymore. No, nope. he's uh, he's you know. Oh, shut! He was so mad. Yeah, he was very upset. I mean, his whole livelihood flushed down the toilet when Tumblr did that. Anyway, yeah, he, he plays with that concept in an issue where just like, you know, these silly villains, and he like gives him a motivation and like talks about how you know he's this goofball, nothing of a character, and uh, and actually like ends up you know Captain America breaks through and teams up with him. Anyway, we'll talk about it, but. Yeah, there's lots of stuff you can do. You know, comics are being com- becoming slightly self-aware of that and, like, becoming self-aware of their tropes. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, we've got enough, a little off topic. Um, yeah, I think that was a good question, Daniel. Let me uh, let me jump to Peter's email here. Okay. Hey, Dave and Zach, I'm way behind in 1977 because life is crazy, but I'm still here since I have no... I- I'm. St- we left Peter back in 77. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, he'll... Uh, Trapped in the past. I have... He's like, uh, he's like Doom and Iron Man. In Camelot. Did you did you hear that though? I'm still here. The name of Joaquin Phoenix's weird semi biography movie, that like fake biography movie. Do you think? I thought that was the Bob Dylan one, where like six actors play. I Bob think that's. Dylan. I'm not there. I'm still here. Is the, <laughs> what is that movie yeah. called? You're probably right. Oh my god, what is it called though? I'm not there. Is the Dylan one? You're right, but I'm still here. Is that like fake documentary with Joaquin Phoenix? I'm just saying. Okay. Joaquin Phoenix is writing us a lot of emails this week. Yeah, yep. no kidding. I it, man, I would not have guessed Peter was also a fake account. Do you think for all like one hundred plus? Of I our think all of our patrons are, are Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, one hundred percent. Just, just uh, different pseudonyms. Wow, he spends a lot of time in the Slack. Since I have no idea what y'all read about, I'm going to ask a question relevant to the recent debate in the Slack today. Doctor Doom okay. is meant to be a master of science and sorcery, but so so far we've seen very little sorcery. His occult interests have been. Little more than flavor in his backstory so far. My question is, does this ever change? If so, when can we expect to see the magical side of Doctor Doom really hit its stride? Alternatively, if it never gets fleshed out as a concept, Dave, as a fan of Doctor Doom, what do you consider to be his finest run and when will we be getting there? When will we be getting sure. there? Sure. Hopefully sure, you get a chance sure. to read more soon. I'm looking forward to catching up. Three episodes per year. Coverage should help. I hope. Love that idea. Thanks as always. Still to be with you, Peter, aka the Colossal Chick Man. Yeah, thanks, Joaquin. I I do. There's some good questions there. I would also say, first off, mm-hmm. we are going to be moving to a at least three episode per year structure. Yep. Uh, yep with yep, 1982's yep. comics, this is both to give Zach and myself more time, and also to give the club more time to read along <laughs> because we are going to we are going to have more comics per list. Um. So the the two part structure that we've done now for. A year plus, getting us from 
the 60s all the way to the 80s. Years, that uh, will almost certainly not be coming back anytime soon. We'll be having more parts. So it just means more episodes per year and more time to read uh, the comics. So, yes, I wanted to call that out as part of your note. I will also say very specifically that the sorcery part of Dr. Doom's legacy, yeah. which is which I like. Uh, I like that concept fun. a lot. It like he, uh, yes, you know, like that. I think that's a fun because you get this dychotomy between Doom and Reed Richards. Right, that they're mm-hmm. both these like scientific geniuses, and I like that Doom kind of distinguishes himself by dipping into magic. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You're going to see some great stuff on that in 1989. You are also going to see some great stuff on that in 2002. So wait for those years. Okay, I, th- I think for it's the like two kind immediate of a, examples that come to mind. It's kind of a different question, but he wrote as a Doctor Doom fan, "What do you consider to be his finest run?" When we'll be getting there. His finest run. Yeah. Finest, finest run. Uh, so, honestly, and this is something I've been thinking about since since you blew up the, the positive relationship we had on last week's episode. Um, the Secret Wars might be when I become a huge Doctor Doom fan. Wow. Okay. Like, I, that might be the book in 1984, like chronologically, mm-hmm. when, I can lo- when I can genuinely look at the character and say, this is everything... I like about Dr. Doom, mm-hmm. or at least yeah. like this kickstarts the things that I love about this character as a villain in the Marvel universe. I actually think that's probably the case. I think the John Byrne run makes good use of Dr. Doom. And I'm a little bit more curious now that we've been talking about it to re-explore that as we read some of those comics um, throughout, uh, throughout the eighties, obviously. But I, I'm thinking it's 84 secret wars where it's like, Secret Wars is a Doctor Doom story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day. And it's a great one. So I I think that's probably the best example. I think 89's uh Triumph and Torment is a huge addition to the Doomalogue. And then throughout the two thousands, there's a ton of great stuff. Books of Doom, written by Ed Brubaker, um, the Mark Wade, Mike Rowingo, Fantastic Four run in the early two thousands, and then like obviously this is something I'm a huge fan of, but Jonathan Hickman taking over the Fantastic Four franchise and his work on the character is probably what really seals the deal for me. Yeah, um, I'm excited. I mean, Secret Wars. I'm excited about all that. Like, I am my my yeah. heart is very open to letting Doom in. Right, like there's a door here, and all Doom has to do is just walk through it. <laughs> Uh, you know, also, you're going to, I mean, I don't know if you're going to believe me about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's a decent chance I might come around on Secret Wars. Like, because yeah. there's, there's a Why ton of stuff that, because, you know, I read, I probably read to 1984, 1985, something like that. When I first read, like, your list, your initial, my World of your list a few years ago. But yeah. there's a ton of stuff that I read that time that I, like, either didn't even really register or disliked that I've totally come around on this time, right? Like, uh, uh-huh. like Jim Starlin. Like, I think I don't know for whatever reason. Like, a lot of the Jim Starlin stuff just kind of passed me by, and now I'm like, you're pretty neutral on that heading in, having read it, which was interesting. I, yeah. it, I think part of it was like I was just blowing through that list like really quick. Like, I read you know 1962 mm-hmm. to 1985 in two or three months, something like that. So I think I just got burned out, and a lot of it, you know, I ended up kind of skimming through. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do hope the the pace of the club um, is something we think about. Like, we want to keep moving as a show, and I don't want to stagnate and get stuck. Yeah, kind of like talking about the same things. But I do hope breaking up the list into more parts helps people not deal, not hit that burnout. Because yeah. like, it's not like that's something we don't experience too. You know, like it's definitely something that 
Like when I was sick in early January, like I just did not want to read. <laughs> Dave was Marvel miserable. Comics. He like, was just like, yeah, I'm ready to quit the uh, quit the podcast. <laughs> this sucks. I hate comics. It was, I didn't. I didn't say. I hate comics. Quitting, I, I hate was, all of our listeners. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I and I called you guys all out by name. <laughs> I want you to know that I was just reading the Patreon <laughs> yeah. list to Zach. No, no, but it's like I I totally get that yeah. that level of burnout. So, so I, I think that I, should help. I mean, like I there is a much. decent. Chance, you don't want to feel like homework. Yeah, there's a decent chance that you know with like the breathing room that I read Secret Wars and kind of think it's fun or not. Okay, maybe not. I okay. I would say I'm not going to hold my breath on that. No, one, don't. I don't. Like I, I mean, think it's probably like a, you know. I get it. I put like a twenty percent chance that I turn around on Secret Wars, <laughs> but I just remember <laughs> yeah, when I read it the first time, it just like driving me absolutely crazy there are stuff I there there are aspects of it i liked and that i remember liking mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but overall i was just infuriated um okay let's uh let's jump forward to our my Miller, my marvelous year shared universe of heroes and villains okay who do we got let me let tonight. me start here because i got two you only have one little update right i got two you got i got a combo platter yeah but you have one like story right Yes, yeah, okay, yes, I've got yes. two stories. So, um, let me open this up here. Okay, let me, uh, I think I will start with, okay. So, um, Kurt Matzenbacher, a.k.a. The Reflector. The Reflector. He's got a friend, uh, and this friend, Jose. He's got a friend. Ro- Jose me. Rojas. He's got a friend, Jose. Are you drinking scotch tonight? What you drinking scotch? Is that a uh, a little Grand Marnier? <laughs> Why does my did my voice sound uh, sultry? A little, a little Toy Story cover for you. <laughs> You're drinking <laughs> just, just straight Grand Marnier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, over Grand Marnier. St- oh, nice. Okay, all right. Yeah, <laughs> that's very funny. A little to sweet, me. a little sweet for the. I mean, I like I like Grand Marnier. I just I never consider it like a, a drink that you drink straight up. You don't consider a lot of things that I like yeah. to be good, so I I have no problem with that. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so overwhelm. Aaron Killingsworth um, mm-hmm. is a uh, not overwhelm. The reflector. Sorry. I. Anyway, well, thank you, Aaron, aka overwhelm. By the way, but Kurt Matzenbacher, yeah, yeah, thanks, the reflector. Aaron. He's got this friend Jose, um, and he's been worried about Jose. Jose has been. He's becoming like kind of embittered uh, lately. Like he's he saw the Joker like five or six times in theaters. You know, like he's just someone who likes that movie like a little too much. You know, and he's well, just, he was like, also in it. He did also have a starring role. Yeah, right. But he, you know, he like watches it and he's like, man, this just gets what society's about. Like we're all screwed, mm-hmm. man. And like I'm the only one who gets it. He's been like calling people NPCs. You know, the way that like people use that synonymously with like sheeple. Like everybody else is just an NPC. Genuinely, never heard of that. But okay. Oh, it's a it's a dumb internet thing. But yeah, he's been using that. Um, and he, you know, non playable character. Yeah, is that what it stands for? Yes, exactly. Yeah, nailed it. Yep. Um, and so he, uh, yeah, he's just you know he's like kind of becoming alienated from society a little bit, and he's just you know like kind of lashing out at people. And Kurt's been friends with him since high school. Now is he when he sees Kurt? Is he saying Murray? Murray, I have no idea. What did you're you just keep saying about. that to him? What are you? What are you talking? About? A Murray, you know what I'm talking about? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's that's a classic moment from the end of the Joker. That's the name of the Robert De Niro's character. Oh, I didn't. I haven't seen the Joker yet. 
You haven't seen it still? I haven't seen it. No, I, I think it just started streaming, so I'm going to watch it soon. Okay. I didn't, I didn't go see it in theaters. Okay. The audience will enjoy it. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, okay. So he, uh, the reflector, he's, you know, he's trying to like, he's trying to break through on his friend, trying to get through to him. So he, he, uh, he decides, you know what we should do? Let's, uh, let's start playing. Let's start playing a tabletop role-playing game together. That'll be a good, like sociable activity. And Jose says he'll be, you know, he'll run the game. And so they mm-hmm. decide the system they're going to use is oubliettes and ogres it's a new role-playing system and it's like real hardcore gaming stuff okay can you uh can you describe what an oubliette is for those of us who might not game as much as you uh i mean it's it's just another word for dungeon it's like a dungeon with a like a i think with a specifically a trap door in the ceiling it's like a basement dungeon something like that with a trap door in the ceiling yeah like you enter it from above i think i think that's right anyway i was just i searched dungeon synonym is how i found that (laughs) okay yeah okay I searched Dungeon Cinnamon, and I got something entirely different. They're just really tasty dungeons. <laughs> God, okay. I love this energy you're bringing tonight. Okay, so yep. the Reflector and Jose are playing this D&D group together. Not D&D, O&O group together. O&O. Yep. And, uh, and Jose, you know, he, like, printed out all the materials. He has all the character player sheets. He's got the guidebook, all this stuff. He's running the game. Kurt thinks he's going to start using his Reflector powers here and uh and he you know he wants to like reflect out he knows that like there's this a little bit of humanity a little bit of like empathy for his fellow man left in jose he thinks he's gonna he's gonna reflect that out and just just a little bit after five joker (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly that's all that remains okay yeah and yeah i mean that's that's the reflector's power is he takes that little nugget of something in somebody and he reflects it back at them and you know like amplifies it basically right he tries to do this with jose but it's just not working he feels like his energy is being absorbed somewhere else, like the, this reality is being reflected somewhere else, and uh, and doesn't understand what's happening. But uh, he doesn't doesn't seem to break through Jose this one night. Goes home. Jose is there by himself. And uh, what really happened is that the reflector's powers of reflecting reality were inflicted on Jose's oubliette and ogre player character sheets. He printed out a whole stack of them. Which is weird, because uh, it's Reflector's Power's magic? Maybe. I don't know. They can affect reality that way. But hmm. what happens is Jose, he, he creates, just for fun, he's going to create a new player character tonight, and uh, and he, he writes up this new character, a dark elf character named Floren... Florandrig... Floradrangle. Floradrangle. It's hard to pronounce. Floradrangle. Yeah, yeah. No, yep. no judgment there. Uh... As soon as he puts checks off the last stat box that he have to, has to check, the player character sheet floats in the air and kind of evaporates into thin air. Mm. And then standing in front of him is a dark elf, like a, uh, a what is he, a, a rogue dark elf in the flesh. Yeah. And he realizes he has a whole stack of character sheets here that he can create fantasy characters with. Uh, and then they just kind of stand there like automatons and he needs to control them. You know, by like mm. via command, like as if he's talking, playing in his uh, tabletop role playing game. So he's like, Flor- Florang Drill uh, goes forward and attacks with his longsword. And then he has to roll a d20. And, uh, and if, you know, it's high enough, Florang hits. And if it's not, then he misses. Yeah. And then he realizes, oh man, Florang is pretty weak. But you know how you level up? Kill weaker creatures. Maybe get some gold. Oh. So he decides yeah. he's going to take. His new characters, 
his new living tabletop RPG characters, maybe rob a bank, uh-huh. maybe cut down some NPCs, level up these characters and get more powerful. Okay. And he starts yeah. going by the name The DM. The DM. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, okay. Jose Rojas, I like the it. DM. I like it. So Kurt the Reflector's attempt to to help Jose out really just, created a new yeah, gave, villain gave in the My Marvel Year universe. Yep. Okay, very nice, very nice. All right, I've got an update here. This is an update for uh, first Silver Cerebellum. Ooh. So last we saw, this, uh, can you do the names actually? Yes, That'd this is uh, Silver Cerebellum is Eric Hodges. Thank you, Thank Eric. You, Eric. Last we saw Silver Cerebellum, he had been in an incident that resulted in the loss of his arm mm-hmm. and the growth of a rock candy arm. Yep. He has an arm made of rock candy. Oh, I just candy. want to point out, it, since I, I was the one who did this, I, I picture that rock mm-hmm. candy arm. It's kind of like Ben Grimm looking, you know? It's got that, like, yeah. rocky thing, but it's, like, bluish purple. It's got this, like, real unnatural, chemically, you know, like, candy coloring color to it, like, almost. If you were a kid at a fair and you were getting rock candy, what color would you get? Oh, boy. Um, probably bluish purple, because that's what my... My mind went I would to. get blue for sure. Yeah, when he goes to the for fair, sure. definitely, like, kids just walk up and he just, like, realizes a kid is licking his forearm. <laughs> yeah, big <laughs> slobbery licks coming his way yeah. a lot. Yep. Um, it, although the the positive here is the rock candy does not wither away. Yeah, no. It, it, it sort it, of just retains its flavor and size. Yeah, it just kind of grows back. If He he dips it in yeah. uh, sugar water to recover, <laughs> and it just uh, it bulks right, up. Right, yeah. right, and that heals it right up. So he Silver Cerebellum is adjusting to a, a lot of transformation in his life when he was introduced. Obviously, he had to get half his brain, I believe it was the left half, coated in silver. Uh, he was in, enlisted in a monster hunting society that was yep. sort of hiding beneath the wings. He's all, He also, let's remember, was a high schooler uh, on his football team before all this started. And now he's got half a brain in silver and a rock candy arm, and he's a monster hunter. So the so he's got this arm change, and he's on the hunt for the creature that he thinks started it all. That is the tiny vampire. Uh, tiny vampire was blamed for the outbreak of vampirism on a high school football team that he was facing and kind of resulted, you know, you could tangentially blame him for the silver cerebellum's current state. So he's looking for tiny V and he's questioning those around him. He's going (laughs) in dark seedy monster bars. What's that? Nothing. He's looking for a tiny V Mm -hmm. and he's questioning people in bars about where it might be. And he finally gets clues that lead him to a pretty well-known place um, it, uh, definitely amongst criminal organizations, it's a street called Assault Alley. Okay, so this he goes into Assault Alley like several <laughs> nights in a row, and it's just your typical muggings and and people being robbed and assaults. And he's like he's like that tiny vampire is nearly impossible to see. I definitely don't see him doing any of these. So, but he keeps at it, right? He doesn't have any other leads. One night he is creeping, hiding behind a garbage can in Assault Alley, and he sees uh, two parents very wealthy looking and their young boy about seven or eight years old they come wandering down assault alley Mm -hmm. and he's like well these these fools are obviously going to get assaulted that is the name of this street and they clearly have money uh all of a sudden the woman starts screaming okay okay and uh silver cerebellum perks right up he's like oh what's happening he can't see anyone else you know she's screaming and she's pulling at herself and she starts really pulling at her neck and she's wearing uh a 
very like kind of gaudy necklace and it's made entirely of clams and at one point all of a sudden as if in slow motion all the clams break apart and they fall off onto the ground wait i'm sorry did i miss something clams I feel like I like yeah yeah maybe I tuned out for like four seconds and I missed a critical part of this, which is that there's clams. She's got a clam necklace. Okay, that's the sentence that's, that's that her, I missed. What her okay. necklace? When you're really wealthy, yeah, you just like fat like our concept of fashion. You you just can't even get your head around it. Sure. Like the things you can buy, the things that have value all of a sudden. In this case, it was a clam necklace. Um, so it comes falling to the ground. She's still screaming. She's slapping at her neck, and Silver Cerebellum's like, okay, she's grabbing at her neck. She, this this has all the signs of tiny vampire being around. So Silver Cerebellum comes running out there, and he says, "Ma'am, ma'am, sir, are you okay?" And the man and the, his son turn and say, "What's going on? Help us!" And the woman, though, she turns and she's got a dark look in her eyes. She's been possessed. It is tiny vampire has taken her over. She's got a tiny little, as if it was like you know, a little fork, a little baby's fork puncture in her yeah, neck. right. and she turns she's got dark eyes she begins fighting the silver cerebellum okay with the clams and well so they're they're fighting and silver cerebellum's like i don't want to hurt you but you know don't make me stop you i need to i need to get to the source of this and the woman reaches out when she's on the ground silver cerebellum's on top of her trying to subdue her and she grabs a clam and she body clams him right oh. in the chest right. big uh-huh. body clam uh-huh. and it gets stuck in his left pectoral Okay, it gets wedged right in there. So he got a hard body clam. And then the little boy, again, seven or eight, he found uh, he found a weapon over by the garbage. He comes and he hits Silver Cerebellum in the back of the head with a bat. So he hits him right in the back of the head with a bat and Silver Cerebellum collapses. When he wakes up, he's in Assault Alley. He's completely naked. The clam's still in his chest. His rock candy arm has been slobbered nearly to death. <laughs> All of his goods are gone. He needs a big saltwater bath, and Tiny Vampire is nowhere to be found, nor is the family that he set out to help. So that is our update for the status of Tiny Vampire and the Silver Cerebellum. Monster hunting what? ain't easy. <laughs> he just has a clam in his chest. Is there, I feel like this is one of those ones where like someone in the Slack will have to explain the pun to me. Is there a pun I missed? D- did you hear me say body clam? Well, y- Nope, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right <laughs> um okay tiny vampire quite a threat yeah um God, can you imagine like if the uh <laughs> if when the the creators of batman who like wrote the origin had uh you know instead of like bruce wayne's mother having those like mm. iconic pearls on had had a clam necklace and then just like how many scenes we would have seen of just clams clattering on the sidewalk as a uh, as Bruce Wayne watches his mother die? I think it's clear that not only can I imagine that, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, let me see here. Who do I have next? Oh, yes. Okay. So, I've got a villain villain team-up this week. Ooh. Steven Taylor, a.k.a. the naysayer. A.k.a. frontman of Aerosmith. Exactly. Yep. Thank you, Steve, for, for all your art. <laughs> I really yeah. loved... Uh, God, what is that album called? Slapping on Bobo or whatever? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I don't know my Aerosmith discography as well 
as some. I, I do have to say, nice job, Stephen, uh, at the Grammys recently performing with Run DMC. Uh, he's yeah, he still kind of got it. He's still kind of yeah, got I mean, it. He can hit those high notes. To the, their classic 2004 album, Honkin' on Bobo. <laughs> <laughs> I did not go that deep into the, into their catalog ever. That's hilarious. Okay. All right. Um, Oh God. When I was like, um, 12 years old, I had a single CD, like a CD of a single for, um, Mm -hmm. Aerosmith's, um, Jaded. Do you know that song? Just Jaded. Just Jaded. And I was obsessed with it. I loved that song (laughs) for whatever reason, 12 year old me like really resonated with that song that the Mila Kunis music video. Yep. Yeah, not a bad greatest hits band. Yeah, I'll yeah, give it to him. Sure. Uh, okay, so Stephen Taylor, the naysayer, our, our horse protector, mm-hmm. meet, he, he decides that he's living in the past too much. Like, his, he's, he's a little yeah. low tech, right? Like, you can't just rely on horses being your friends to, uh, you know, like, dominate your enemies. <laughs> it's, it's just mm-hmm. not enough. Yeah, dream on. Especially cult. Go to hell. <laughs> God. <laughs> Especially his enemy, Colt McClure, who's been upping their uh, their attacks on these wild horse herds and, like, taking these wild horse herds and taming them and, like, selling them to, uh, you know, to different farms and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he goes to another villain who he knows is technologically able, the backup generator, also known as C.J. Petrus. Okay, that's right. Yep. And so, working together, the backup generator creates a a spur a spur for cowboy boots and when you replace it he puts if you put this on a cowboy boot someone puts on those boots it uh it will cut into their heel and inject them infect them with some kind of like nanovirus that will morph their body and will to be like kind of a horse human hybrid this like horrifying okay. like monstrosity where just like your limbs and bones all stretch out to be horse length and your back gets yeah. all elongated. You grow this bushy tail and your, your nose uh-huh. gets real long. Just this like horrifying fate for anybody who gets infected with this, uh, you know, this, this, uh, you know, this virus that the backup general. And this creates. is, this is project Popovich, I believe. Pop- right. Pop- this is project Popovich, uh, where they have these, um, the devastatingly effective spurs. Uh-huh. What's, uh, Yeah. Sure. What's the? I don't get it. I'll tell. I'll tell you when we're done. Okay. Just roll with it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely. Oh man, good one. Yes, that's it. Um, so Stephen Taylor, the naysayer, he scopes out Colt McClure's hidden base, and he has the backup generator's popcorn kernel sneak into the base and replace all the spurs and all the cowboy boots while Colt McClure's, you know, all of their her. Uh, her like lieutenants are sleeping, right? Like all of her henchmen mm-hmm. are sleep. Replaces the spurs. Next day, it's all of her horsemen. I just want. To oh that. yes, all of her horsemen. Next day, naysayers out in the fields, hanging out with his favorite herd of wild horses. When who comes yep. rolling up? Colt McClure's whole posse. They come up. They're wrangling these horses. They're spooking them. They're trying to, you know, like uh, rustle them all bound to the back of their trailer. So well, they and can... they'll offer them. They'll offer them sugar cubes. Yep. And the horses go to eat it. It was just. It was just a little icy snow. Just a little icy snow. It <laughs> wasn't sugar at all. <laughs> Huge prank. I like how uh, how nice that is. I thought you were going to say like salt or cornstarch <laughs> or you know. <laughs> no, it's still something they need. It's just water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you know, 
naysayer knows the, the fate of these horses if they get all wrangled up on this trailer. Colt McClure is going to break them over her knee. She breaks horses. Mm-hmm. But Colt McClure has got the secret weapon. He has the activation remote. And he presses the button. And all of a sudden, these half dozen men all start screaming. And their bones mm-hmm. twist and contort. And they all turn into these horrifying horse creatures. Oh, my goodness. Colt McClure comes riding up. Unaffected, because she never takes off her boots, even to sleep or to bathe. She's always got her cowboy boots on. <laughs> so she's unaffected. She's a never boot. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's unaffected. She rides up just as the naysayer mounts the back of Colt McClure's number one lieutenant. Gets on the back of it. He looks her right in the eyes and says, save a horse, ride a cowboy. And then he <laughs> digs his heels in and he rides off on Colt McClure's number one lieutenant into the sunset. I've always, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> oh, man. So that's uh, that's naysayer and the backup generator. Um, let me let me call right. out our uh, heroes and villains we didn't update this week. We've got Dan Heath, the terrible toffee,ed Peter Parson, the colossal chick man, Christina Cantabell, Lala Lacrozzi, the tailor, um, Aaron Killingsworth, overwhelmed Ben Grieving, the laughing knight. Uh, you, oh my god! Every time, Jorg <laughs> Jorg Eitner, son of son of yeah. God. Oh, it just takes me a second. Austin Hurling, Fever Baby, Justin Woolenhopped, KOS, Braylon, Gravian, Nate Champion, Long Distance, uh, Ma- Oh my gosh, she told me. <laughs> Did you just laugh? That fun gets me. Yeah, you laugh at your own joke. Me. I have to, I, I screwed up her, I called her Mary last time. It's definitely not Mary, it's Ma- Madi. Ma- Madi? Madi, yes. Uh, Holy Diver, and yep, that's it. So, thank you to our patrons at that tier. And all our patrons, you don't have to be at that tier. Thank you. I just no, you, know. you don't even have to be a patron. Let me if tell you, if you're listening, like the show, thank you very much. You're listening. Oh, we got we, we got a really that. nice. You know, I don't want to toot our own horn, but I feel like those my marvelous year shared universe updates were pretty good. And if you agree, go on over to iTunes. Yeah, we got a really nice review review yesterday really that called it. me out for my Doctor Doom takes. <laughs> I want more of that. Give me those yeah. specific takes based on things we say in episodes. That is super rewarding and very, very fun yeah, to see. Yeah. And it helps us reach more people. You know, Zach, I got an email uh, recently that said we rank number 237 in iTunes book chart. We are, we're ranking. <laughs> we're on the charts, baby. Is that true? Top really? of the pops. Hmm. Here we come. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's going to do it for my Marvelous Year variant cover, 1981. We'll be back with 1982, our first reading list, which you can find in the show notes. Or, of course, as always, you can go on over to patreon.com slash mymarvelthisyear is uh, three graphic novels. We're going to kick things off with Marvel's original graphic novel, Landscape, which kicks off in 1982. Mm-hmm. We're going to do The Death of Captain Marvel, The New Mutants graphic novel, and X-Men God Loves Man Kills. Yeah. It should be a very interesting and, frankly, pretty unique uh, episode because we have not seen you know Marvel's OGNs yet, obviously, and it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. So check them out, read along. That episode will be coming. I was going to say actually. Otherwise, like, thanks for listening. Even if we're, I mean, there are all the benefits that you mentioned before about like slowing down a little bit are helpful. Also, just like as the comics get better, it's easier to talk about them at length, right? Like we didn't mm-hmm. read more comics than usual in 1981, but we had that two-hour episode, and I think that's just because the comics have that much more to dive into. But I think that will uh, yeah. that'll be useful for that as well yeah for sure yep so thank you everybody for listening uh, again you can find uh, more about the show over on patreon.com slash my marvelous year or just go to my marvelous year.com our music is by disaster piece mm, thank yep. you disaster piece for the excellent tunes and anything else we need to plug i don't think so 
Oh, oh, no, All wait, right. wait. Uh, the day this comes out, which is February 17th, we're going to be recording. Let me get the time up. We're going to be doing our live Q&A for uh, patrons. Mm. Actually, it's not even for patrons. If you run our Twitch, you can watch it. Anyone can watch it. If you're a patron, you can like, I'll post the uh, the audio later so you can listen at your leisure. But mm. we're going to be recording that at, just give me one second. Um, loving an elevator, loving it up as I'm going down. Just doing a little Aerosmith while you're looking for that. No, it's fine. You don't have to do that. Okay. Uh, 10.30, no, wait. 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. We're going to start the Q&A, and then we're going to transition into recording My Ultimate Year Episode 4. Uh, we're gonna... My Ultimate Year Episode 4 live. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're, like, I think I said this, we're not going to, like, do it live, you know, like, chat with live, people. unedited, Twitch, chopped, you, uh, and slapped. Just if anyone, like, has the day off for President's Day and they want to hang out and, like, watch us, listen to us uh, record an episode live. Thought that would be kind of fun to do, so we're gonna we're gonna put it up on str- on Twitch. So I think it's twitch.com slash my marvelous year is our channel. Um, so come over at eleven thirty EST on the day Please if do. you hear if you are listening to this episode first thing Monday. You listen morning. to this first thing in the morning. Yeah, Monday, I mean I'm gonna tweet and then this you out hop right stuff. onto the live stream. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let me tell you, if that is the path you take, let us know because you're our biggest fan, and I want to thank you. You know what I love is we I think um, oh, what's it tiny vampire. Um, he uh he's german which means that like he gets the episodes about six hours before anybody else or at least he doesn't get them before anybody else but like his morning is about six hours before anybody else so like we often get feedback for our episodes about 2 33 (laughs) a.m on the slack channel where he pipes in and he's (laughs) like in response to zach's dr doom comments at like 2 30 a.m when the episode comes out love it which i love to see love it yeah We've got a uh, a fun and expanding, you know, international audience of sorts. Oh which yeah, is, oh, which is really cool to see. Super you know, cool. People, yeah. people read Marvel comics from across the globe. Love that yep. very, very much. Uh, yeah, thanks everybody. This has been a blast, and we'll see you all soon. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next year. See you next year. <laughs>